Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. And he swings, hits it high, and deep, and gone! Still going back! Yeah! Out of here! Welcome to the big leagues! Deep to center field, and it is gone! Wow, his first big league swing is going to be a grand slam home run. Swing and drive! Top third base prospects today on the call-up. I'm Arm Layton. He's Jack McMullen. Another position to check off. We're going to talk Cardinals top prospects on the next episode this week, but third base, Jack, it's loaded. And we can talk about that for, I think, through multiple ways of one, the top 10 is extremely talented, but then two, there's about another 10 honorable mentions who are, you know, right on, you know, right on the brink, I think, of being a top 10 prospect or potentially being a top 100 prospect overall, but top 10 at the position, of course, that is. And I think it's pretty nuts that, you know, this position, I get it because there's it's a premium power spot. Some guys, it's like, oh, does he move to first? We're still kind of finding that out. But it is kind of eye-opening when you go through the exercise here of going through the names, how many really talented prospects at least play the hot corner now or project to play the hot corner. Well, I mean, why don't you play that game at the big league level, too? It's the same exact conversation at the major league level where you've got some of the best players in all of baseball. Like, I mean, we're talking future Hall of Famers, and we've got this in the intro. Like, Manny Machado and Nolan Arenado are at third base. Jose Ramirez, consistently a top 10 talent among position players in all of baseball. You've got guys that are making their way into that conversation in Austin Riley and Rafael Devers, and there's five. Like, there's the top five that is taken out. You could make the argument that Isak Paredes, who's coming off a four and a half win season, isn't a top 10 third baseman in baseball. Third base, I think, pound for pound is the best position in baseball that we've got right now. Like you could argue starting pitching, whatever. There's a way larger talent pool there with third base with it being so hyper specified. It's a hell of a lot better than the shortstops in Major League Baseball are right now because you've got that top flight talent and all that depth. And the same can be said about the minor leagues. Third base is going nowhere. 
it's a sexy position now. Yeah, it really is. And, and I think just that the idea that a guy, you know, has to hit really, you know, at that position. So a lot of these guys, I mean, they're, they're performing offensively and it's just a question of where they, they settle defensively, or it's a guy that, you know, was pretty good at shortstop, just maybe couldn't stick there moves to third and projects really well defensively there. Uh, this is kind of general. There might be some slight changes to maybe one or two of these names when we get to the top 100 update in terms of like where these guys exactly slot in. But this is kind of the the, the closest to, to what we would probably have it sized up as when we update the top 100, you know, in the next couple of weeks. But uh, without further delay, we'll jump into the the honorable mentions, which there's a lot of names here, Jack, and a lot of players that I like and a couple that are actually in Bowman draft. Uh, so we'll, we'll be sure to kind of tie that in at some point, too. But, yeah, just kind of walk us through some of these uh, honorable mentions, Jack. Yeah. So we've got nine names um, and stop me when you see fit. Sal Stewart with the Reds, Sterling Thompson with the Rockies, Justin Henry Malloy with the Tigers, uh, Graham Pauly with the Padres, Zach DeZenzo with the Astros, Austin Shenton with the Rays, Aiden Miller with the Phillies, Braden Taylor with the Rays, Brock Wilkin with the Brewers. Well, you never stop me, so we're going to go like kind of one by one. Sal no, Stewart, no, so I didn't want to stop yeah. you because I was just going to like I was just ready to just rattle off on on a couple guys that I wanted to, to like just rattle some thoughts off of real quick, but. I mean, Wilkin, we just talked about and, right. you know, that's that's the Brewers system, a guy that I think could be really fun. Obviously, it's all about the bat. And that's kind of the question, right? Is is he going to be able to actually play a decent third base and is he going to be able to hit enough? That's a classic profile here, right? I think that's a classic risk that comes with this type of profile. And that usually keeps you out of the top 10 because a lot of these other guys either have similar offensive upside with, I think, less risk or, you know, at least less risk defensively and less risk hit tool wise. You know, he has both of those so that that kind of, you know, it kind of hurts him a little bit. Um, Sal Stewart, I think, is probably the name that's I'm most interested to see where he lines up at the end of this coming year, because in terms of what he did last year, his numbers were fantastic. He's younger. We talked about him relatively recently in the red system, but I don't know if he has the upside that some of the other names that you mentioned in there have in terms of the power uh, and and just that's really going to be important at the position. Braden Taylor is probably one of my favorites in terms of we haven't seen much yet. Rays, I know I love that pick there. I think he's a guy that could be a top 100 prospect by our midseason update. And that's a guy that I'm also collecting in Bowman draft, which we'll talk about. But uh, yeah, who else in the honorable mentions kind of caught your eye as someone that like you could expect to kind of push their way into this top 10 potentially? Uh, Shenton won't have the chance because Shenton's no. going to he's going to graduate before he does push into that top 10. But I think that this guy is like in the 11 or 12 conversation where he's, he's really good. He's been really good at each level. Malloy's not going to have the chance. I don't think either because either a debut is coming or a position change is coming. Um, We were talking about him before we hit the record button, 60 games at third base, 45 games in corner outfield spots. And you said, I view him more as an outfielder. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 you know, it's funny is like those players, it feels like no matter what they're going to do in the minor leagues at this point, it's just not going to change their prospect status because it's just, it feels like most, most detractors of those guys, specifically Malloy and Shenton, are, oh, let's see him do it at the big league level. So once he like you know once he actually sells the detractors, either of those guys, once either of those guys do, they're no longer a prospect. So that's the interesting thing with with that type of of player as well. But I do think they're worth mentioning because those are two guys that could have a big league impact, you know, pretty easily at the early parts of the season. So 
all really interesting names, all guys that I'm excited to watch and probably more names that we're not even catching. You know, I think that that honestly could be very intriguing, you know, moving forward. It's just these are kind of guys that uh, we've seen enough of and, you know, that we're just excited to watch. But I'm sure there's a handful that we'll have in the YouTube comments that are like, oh, what about this guy? What about this guy? What about this guy? There's a lot of fun third baseman, trust me. Uh, and I'm excited to continue to talk about this position as the season goes on and, you know, as as guys start to compile some ABs because there's some lower level talent which we'll talk about at number 10 but there's some lower level talent uh that you know might not quite be making the move to the hot corner just yet or guys that like i just don't want to totally relegate to third base just yet so might not be discussed in this episode as much we'll jump right into the top 10 which again as as always you know we've got the the article kind of right along with us so if you're on youtube you can follow along if you're if you're you know listening you can click that link and follow along as well um but we'll jump right in at number 10 which this is a player that probably has as much variance, I think, as anybody really. I wouldn't say just in the top third baseman list. I'd say probably, you know, uh, in the top 100 because you know, he, Sebastian Walcott, but the Texas Rangers have a good one here a, in terms of what he can be. And that's why he signed for $3 million. There were some rumors about him being included in some of those big trade packages at the end of last year uh, and around the deadline. But the Rangers were you know, very keen on holding on to him. They, they elected to trade a, you know, Thomas Ajayzi instead and um, you know, some other prospects, C.K. Roby, who I think they'll actually regret moving those guys. And that's a, another topic for another time. But you know, I think the upside of Walcott and, and him being further off, it made more sense for them to hold on to him. And I mean, you can understand why this guy was a prized international free agent. You can understand why people were so excited about him just off of what he was doing at the complex you know, right away. 17 years old, putting up exit velocities as high as 112. I mean, Walcott was, uh, I think, really imposing. When you look at 6'4", 195, but also pretty agile, uh, adjustable. He's technically, I think uh, they, they've labeled him as a shortstop. This is a guy that I'm comfortable relegating to third base, and I'm pretty sure he's already getting you know more reps at third, really, and, and that seems to be the focus of where he's going to play. The bat should carry the profile just fine there. The question, like it is with so many young, powerful hitters, is is he going to hit enough? And, you know, we're in wait and see mode there. Uh, but, you know, if he does, even if it's a, a 35-40 hit tool, I think with the power, with the tools across the board and the potential defensive ability at third base, Walcott could be a special piece. Now, I ask you as like my one quick follow up on Sebastian Walcott, because I feel like he was a guy that, you know, obviously the numbers were so limited. You had such a limited sample to work with. I think a lot of his prospect intrigue has been anecdotal to this point. So like the one question I have for you is how much external pressure do you feel like you had to push Walcott into the top 100? Or was it, hey, the few looks that I've gotten, this guy's absolutely top 100 caliber? Yeah, that's actually a great question because, you know, you get these like these cult followings for these 17, 18 year old prospects. So the way that I look at it is a group think you group think yourself into it's almost like, hey, if I were to try and rile you up about a certain guy, you get riled up. And then all of a sudden, like it's a group think and we got like a third person. Yeah. And it's, it's funny. And I love that. I love that about the prospect community, right? A a young player just makes an impact right away and people just get really pumped on him. Right. We saw it similarly with junior Caminero, but a lot of times it's for good reason. And so to answer your question, honestly, it, what pushed him over the top was the fact that he just is doing things that not a lot of 17 year olds are doing. And when I'm looking at complex prospects, when I'm looking at teenagers like that, it's really, how much do you stand out from your peers? Because, and I know that's technically prospects in general, but 
even more so there, right? If you're just a total outlier in the exit velocities department, then I can push you a little bit higher, even though you're so far off. Because generally, I don't like to rank these complex guys, these lower level guys higher. And I don't like to base it off of signing bonuses either. Like you'll see if a guy really impresses us right from the jump, like a Ramon Ramirez with the, with the Royals. I don't care if he was a $60,000 IFA guy. If he put up the same numbers as a $2 million IFA guy and they look exactly the same to me, they're going to be ranked very similar. So I think that the signing bonus of Walcott also you know, pushed him up, though, because that always is something that you know I think is, is naturally going to be baked into rankings. But for me, when you see a 17-year-old, and he was like a young 17, putting up 112s like that, and it's not like there's egregious whiff either. Like The, the, the bat-to-ball has been fine. Um, I, I do think that it can get maybe picked on a little bit more against more challenging competition. You could get a little bit spinny over rotated on breaking balls, hard sliders. That's typical of big 17 year olds. The fact that this guy's already able to get into 112 and, you know, is, has a 90th percentile of like 106 and, and the fluidity of the swing for such a strong, I remember we were talking about Alfredo Duno with the, mm-hmm. with the reds, like he's run into some balls, 111, 112, but he's filled out. He's big. There's a lot of moving parts to the swing. It, it looks like it, it just is not going to translate, you know, until he makes some changes. And so I'm more hesitant there. With Walcott, he's doing the same thing in terms of the EVs. He's making more contact. And there's so much more fluidity and repeatability with the swing that I can see it, you know, continuing to, to translate. Maybe it doesn't, but those are the guys that I could palette being more aggressive with on the rankings, despite you know, not really playing anywhere else other than the complex. He did skip low A and played like a handful of games in high A, but um, I assume that's where he'll start this coming year where he'll just be 17 and Hickory, yeah. which is pretty crazy. Yeah, he went two for 13 with five punch outs in his four games in high A, but like don't care, doesn't matter. Um, kind of interesting that he left the complex and just skipped low A entirely as a 17-year-old. But I, I think what it sounds like is your almost projecting that 112 can turn into 118, 119 when it's a final product. That or, you know, and I think it really can, that or the fact that just he's already getting into 112, 113 now, and he could almost simplify his swing even more as he, you know, continues to mature and still tap into plus power while potentially making more contact because he has the big leg kick. He has the moving parts. And that was kind of what detractor said about junior Camonero, right? Oh, is all, are all these moving parts going to work? They've worked and worked and worked at each stop. Walcott could be that same type of guy. If not, I have so much faith in the bat speed translating, even with more subdued moves that I just feel like the, the natural bat speed and impact is just too impressive. Uh, and we know we'll see how the glove comes across at third base, but I think he should be good enough there. Got you. Number nine. Brian Ramos, guy that we are probably higher on than most. You know, we've had him comfortably in the top 100 list, you know, for the last couple of years. And yeah, look, I think this is a guy that's a big part of the, the White Sox future. Um, I still do. And, and I think he's got a pretty straight path to third base as soon as 2024. I, I'm not saying the beginning of the year, but maybe second half of 2024. The injury last year, I think, what was it, a back uh, and something else? He had a few different ailments. It really slowed what could have been a, a pretty fast timeline i think to, to potentially get into the big leagues um he's still just 21 and he'll presumably start you think he starts in triple after playing you know the whole the whole year pretty much coming back off of injury finishing doubling and going to the afl you think he finishes would, in triple 
I would think so, especially because this is the year that the White Sox are going to run Yoan Moncada out there. And if it doesn't go well, they're fine cutting bait three months in or like you have to cut bait three months in just to you know save your face. Um, so I think starting him in AAA makes more sense. And AAA like is probably the final step that he needs to accomplish. He he had those but 21 games as part of Project Birmingham. So he had 21 double-A games in 2022. And then in 23, he was pretty much a full-time double-A player. So I, I don't see enough to warrant a repeat double-A season, even with the injury. Yeah. And, and he finished strong. And I think that was important, too, just in terms of, you know, I, I think he had to fight off, you know, some of the cobwebs. Also, we talk about guys just kind of coming back and, and just being banged up and you know, to, to close out the year in double A strong and then to you know go to the airs on the fall league and, and put up some decent numbers there. Not striking out, cutting down on the chase was all really important stuff. And, and I think, look, he's probably going to be a guy that swings and misses a little bit. I think it's going to be a 20 to 25 percent K rate. But if he hedges that with the ability to walk, he does have decent bats of ball skills and he hits the ball hard. He hits the ball in the air pretty consistently. I, I've been really impressed, and I got to see it, you know, up close and personal in the AFL, how how the glove has come along, and how he's turned into a really nice defender at third base. So we're talking about like a uh, an above average potential defender at third. I think he's got twenty five, you know, home run power, maybe even a little bit more if it all works out. He should hit, you know, the two fifty two sixty range. He should walk. It's a good player, man. And I think that's exactly what he can be. And I think people do forget that he is just 21 years old. He needs to to kind of shore some things up against velocity. And I think it's just a little bit more of a timing issue than a bat speed issue. He does have good bat speed. Uh, but for some reason, yeah, velocity can could, could give him some fits at times. But then I've also seen him catch up to 95 at the top of the zone, 96 at the top of the zone. So just kind of trying to find that consistency. I think he gets caught in between a little bit between the fastball and the breaking balls and sometimes feels rushed on the fastball and then you know gets a little bit out front on the breaking ball. That said, I think with more reps, he'll iron that out. And I think this could be a really big year for him, whether he's in double again or he goes to triple, because I'm still a believer. I don't think anything from last year really changed my perspective at all. I don't know where you're at, but I mean, he ends up playing 104 games. He's still between the AFL and, and you know, double A compiled a 787 OPS, Jack. I mean, that was as a 20, 21 year old against more challenging competition. Only struck out 21 and a half percent of the time, walked it at a 10% clip like, I mean, coming off of injury, that's that's a pretty fine year. He He's the forgotten top 100 prospect in the White Sox organization. I think like so many people are looking at Colson Montgomery as the guy, the savior of this franchise. And then Noah Schultz right behind him is like, oh, he's that. But on the pitching side and then Ramos, he doesn't fall to the wayside because he's still a top 100 prospect, but he doesn't get he doesn't get 20 percent of the fanfare that Colson Montgomery gets. So, yeah. I'm rooting for him. And I do think that he's like a big part of that future. Um, he is, you know, kind of where you pencil in third base for the next six, seven years when you get out from under that Moncada deal. Exactly. And, and so before we move on, you know, you're, you're a little bit more plugged in with the White Sox in terms of, you know, that's your hometown team. But has your perspective changed at all, you know, better or worse on Ramos based on last year? No injury. Like, yeah, I just, I can't change perspective on somebody based on injury. Now, if it's back-to-back seasons of injury and poor production, yeah, then you start to worry about that. Yeah. Like Veen, I, you know, I had to, I had to hop off the Veen thing and the Rockies are my true favorite team. Um, but like with Ramos, he played 120 games in 2022. He had a 790 OPS. He plays 81 games in 2023. He has an 807 OPS. Like when he was healthy in double a, 
he had an 825 OPS. Like you yeah. can't slam the panic button on that. So no. my thing is, okay, he was hurt. Let's see him healthy in AAA. Charlotte was the worst AAA team I've ever seen in my life last year. So they're going to get better because they'll have more prospect yeah. intrigue. Yeah. And again, there's the one thing to watch is just right on right heaters. I don't know what's up with that, but you know, hopefully you can iron that out. I'm still, I'm still a big fan. I'm not going to put too much, too much stock into that. And that fix feels three times easier than right on right breaking balls. Yeah. I, again, I just, it just seems weird to me. It almost just seems like a timing thing. And, and, and no, I, I'd have to dig deeper into the video when we do the White Sox system. I'll dive deeper into it. I don't know why the numbers are weird right on right because he crushes lefty breaking balls. He crushes heat from lefties. He's put up decent numbers against high end velocity, but for whatever reason, the overall numbers against righty fastballs, not great. So uh, I'll have more on that hopefully when we talk about the White Sox system. Number eight, player that we just recently talked about, so we don't need to talk too much about him, but Cam Collier with the Reds. Um, Let's just talk about how he fits into the players that we are ranking here, right? Because we talked about Collier a ton. And if you just found this episode but didn't see the Reds one, if you want the in-depth breakdown on the Reds or, or on Collier, excuse me, um, check out that Reds episode. I Just for the, the folks that you know do listen to every episode, I don't want to just regurgitate you know the same things like two episodes later when we do a position that has overlap with the system that we just talked about. Right. Uh, and if you are one of those people, thank you. I love the people that you know are listening to multiple episodes a week and sticking with us. We appreciate you. Uh, but Collier, man, so I, for me, he has the edge over Ramos because – you have some similar questions about like, okay, you've got power. Um, I think with Ramos, the glove has come along. So he's got the edge there. Collier, I think has more power potential. He's a left-handed bat. And I don't know. There's something about him having the time to just, the idea of him having two years or almost three years to get to where Brian Ramos is now makes me feel like I'd rather wait and see what that looks like with Collier. The EVs yeah. are already better. He's got to work on hitting the ball in the air more consistently, but there's not really a, a, a pinpoint thing you can carve into Collier's offensive game, like right-handed fastballs right. to pick Collier apart. And again, I, it's not enough of a concern for me to, to drop Ramos out of the top 100, but if we're splitting hairs eight versus nine, Collier has some more power. I think potentially a better field to hit. I, I'd argue does have a better field to hit. The defense isn't going to be as good, uh, you know, and, and I have some concern about him continuing to kind of, you know, thicken a little bit and maybe have to move off of third, but I'm, yeah. I'm holding out hope. Um, so I got to update that fielding grade. And I still just feel like with the power that you're getting from the left side, the youth and the ability to continue to develop and an approach that's, I think, going to get better and better. Collier's just got the edge for me over a Ramos. Yeah, I, that makes sense. The age is on his side. Like time is fully on his side. The other thing is, you know, you get that much juice from a left-handed hitter. You may be willing to pallet some defensive inefficiencies. I think about mm -hmm. the Red Sox and Endeavors. Endeavors is, you know, far beyond the hitter that we could even project Collier to be at his top outcome. Like, Devers is one of the best hitters in baseball. But his defense drags him down a bit. Yet it's still a massive net positive, and he's a $300 million player because he's serviceable at third base and he's a legit power threat from the left side as a third baseman. And he and wasn't serviceable before. He was horrible. So, like, yeah. the fact that that guy, who was really young when he got up, you know, has turned himself into a slightly below average third baseman instead of the worst one in the game makes me think that Cam Collier, with, like, obviously all the bloodlines that we've talked about, makeup, he yeah. should be fine getting to a below average or average defense at third baseman.
And that's what, and I agree. And that's where the makeup like really can kind of separate here as well. Not that Ramos doesn't have great makeup as well, but when you have, you know, a a situation here where it's like, okay, is he going to put the work in to hedge some of these specific concerns? And then naturally are the, the pros that we like about him going to continue to strengthen as well. I think yes, with a guy like Collier. And that's why we are no higher on him than most. But then when you go into number seven, Tyler Black, you know, the, the upside that Collier possesses offensively to corners, obviously going to be yeah, higher than, than Tyler Black. But the likelihood of Tyler Black just being a good big league third baseman or just good big league bat in general yeah. is what gives him the slight edge here for me. And we talked about him very recently, too. It's actually ironic that uh, a lot of these prospects are NL Central prospects. But Black, we discussed how the defense has gotten better at third base to the point where, you know, I think it's it's passable um, or, or or close to it. Y- you saw a series where you thought it even looked better than that, which is good to hear. And I mean, w- what he's turned into in terms of tapping into more power while stealing 55 pegs, while cutting down the chase. I mean, it's it's just kind of the really perfect profile. If you're not going to hit 30 home runs which Black doesn't have enough power to. He has enough power for, for 20. But if you're not going to hit 30 home runs, to be able to say, okay, well, I'll walk a ton and I'll steal a ton of bags, it's not your quintessential third base profile, but he adds value everywhere else, you know, where he comes up a little bit short, maybe in the power department. Well, and like he was ripping doubles and triples like nobody's business oh, either. Yeah. If I if I have the quick tally right, I've got 55 extra base hits and 55 stolen bases. If I'm getting that from a third baseman, I'm good. A 500 slug, a 420 OBP, and 55 bags. Like yeah. there, there's no hole to poke there. So y- you give that the edge over the dream of Cam Collier because it's like, hey, I can get 20 homers and it looks like 40 bags from my third baseman. Yep. Yep. I mean, that's fun. And you know, it's what we were talking about, like the leg kick thing and and certain athletes that can just make it happen this is another one, right? It's, it's Zach Neto-esque where it's like, this guy has no business being on time and as under control as he is. And he just, he does <laughs> like, he just does it. So it is Neto-esque with, with the bat. And what I, and what yeah. I will say there is like Neto is a smaller frame. He's a smaller guy. He's the one that kind of makes me scratch my head more with black. I almost look at that, that big leg kick in the load as why are you doing that? Because it's not affecting anything else on your body. Like he's such a small, sturdy guy that it almost feels like he's he's doing that thing. Have you seen the videos of uh, the people doing like the trampoline workouts where their knees are going up and their head is staying stationary? Like No, that's head, crazy. It's nuts. But head and like shoulders, upper body, his upper body may be staying in the same exact place when he makes that leg kick. And then all of a sudden it's just leg up, leg down, go. The, mm-hmm. the, he's a fire hydrant that just has like the weird dog peeing move. Yeah. Well, it's funny that the head still is a huge part of that. I'm glad you mentioned that because when you have those moving parts, we talk about timing and being able to time up those moving parts, but it's also important to keep your head still. Cause hey, if you're moving a lot with those moving parts in terms of your eyes, it is really hard to track the baseball. Black does not do that. Sub 20% chase rate, contact rate, a uh, zone contact rate around 84%. And then yeah, the, the 90th percentile exit velocity is right around 103 but when you hit the ball in the air a, a fair amount, but it's a lot of line drives, gap to gap, sprays it all over. It's just the perfect balance of, of kind of everything. And 15% walk rate, 18% K rate. Sign me up for that. We talked about the Brewers on the, the playing GM episode. And look, I think for the Brewers to have their best chance at being competitive next year, I don't know how much they care about that. 
But it, I think it's with Tyler Black in the big league lineup in some capacity, whether you put him at first, third, a little of both, whatever it may be. And I think they do kind of plan on playing him at both. Anywhere but center. Anywhere but center to protect that scapula. Um, number six, or Elvis Martinez, man. Uh, prospect fatigue. Here's a candidate. But you know what the best thing to do about prospect fatigue is just get better <laughs> and just and just make a leap. And that's exactly what he did in the, for the AAA affiliate of the Blue Jays in Buffalo last year. Fun dive for me um, when, when I was updating Martinez's write-up on the end-of-season top 100. Just going into some of the changes that he made, man, like this is a guy that really I think was humbled to a degree and said, okay, you know, he's a three and a half million dollar international free agent in 2018. Uh, how, how can I get my game to a point where, you know, it will translate at the big league level? He's always had the power. We've seen the home run output always. Yeah. Talk about a noisy operation in the box, but making the adjustments to make contact more consistently, use the whole field more, starting more stacked on the backside. Yeah, he still has the leg kick, but now with two strikes, he actually kind of cuts it down and is more in his legs. Simple moves, way better with two strikes now, way better against breaking balls. And I think big part of that is being able to keep his weight back. He was very much weight forward and a very rotate oriented guy. So if you're, you know, if you're pulling off, it's tough. I have the numbers here in the write-up. He had an OPS under 600 against breaking balls in 2022. And he was over 800 against breaking balls OPS wise in 2023, improving the body control, improving the timing, and then actually also seeing a two tick jump in his 90th percentile exit velocity. I mean, I'm going to buy that type of improvement any day of the week. Yeah. So for me, his value lies in the glove because he had a year that dropped him off every single top 100 write up that anybody around the world was doing in 2022. Guess how many home runs he hit in 2022? 30. He One? hit 30. Huh. He hit 30 and he falls off every top 100 list. As a 20 year old in double A, he hit yeah, 30 he hit home runs. He hit 203. He struck out all the time and his OBP walks? was under 290. No, he wasn't walking. It was a 290 OBP. So like that shows you that his value, yes, it's in the bat right now, but the thing that's going to make or break him is his defensive ability. Because this year, like, yes, he makes all these stride forward and, and, and we love, you know, how he's back and he's absolutely a top 100 prospect coming into this year. And we think he's worthy of a big league debut. He only hit 240, but the fact that it was a 40-point jump, like he only got on base at a 340 clip, but the fact that it was a 50-point jump, like we're looking at it in relation to the 2022 season. And the answer is former top 100 prospect falls off, then he makes improvements. He's 21 years old in AAA. All right, he's back in the top 100. But what's the thing that makes him a cornerstone for the Blue Jays moving forward when they're going to have to pay Bichette and they're going to have to pay Vladdy and they're going to have to pay others very, very soon? It's defensive ability. Can you be an everyday third baseman? I think it's a great point because I, I, I think especially now, I mean, there was already not much question about the power. There was a question of, okay, is he going to get into it enough at the big league level? And I think to your point, what he just did this past year is enough to say, okay, I think he can get into it. Like, yes, he hit 28 on the heels of 30. He's fine. But it might be with a 220 batting average. That could still be okay if yeah. he's walking more. But to your point, we got to look at ways. How do you elevate this profile from being average, right? We always talk about fastballs, right? All the different ways that you can stray from, you know, an average heater. 
kind of looking at it the same way with, with, a, with a prospect here. How can you separate yourself from the baseline? There's going to be certain things that drag you down. There's going to be certain things that pull you up. His hitting ability is going to drag him down. His, his power is going to pull him up. His approach is going to pull him down. Um, I, I, I think that glove is what could end up making him a consistent, you know, big league regular and could be the difference between being a one and a half, two win player and a three and a half, four win player. So I, I think that is a great point. And he does have the ability now playing full-time third base with his arm to, to, to develop into a good third baseman. I have him as 35, 45 as a shortstop, which now he's moved off of. And, and I thought it was closer to 35. At third base, he could develop into something a little bit better. We'll go into the top five in a moment here before we get to that, a quick break. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. Saving money when you start your next project today at Menards. Check out our great selection of garage and utility lighting options in stock, ready to take home today. We carry everything to help you illuminate whatever project you're working on. Shop garage and utility lighting products in store at your nearest Menards. You can also view all of our entire selection of lighting options today on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. We're going to jump into number five, but before that, I want to talk a little bit about Bowman Draft. Great position here uh, for Bowman Draft. Talk about third baseman, man, and and that's a position that I always feel comfortable being able to grab because those are generally guys that are, it's all about the bat. And we talked about some of the players in, in Bowman Draft that could end up moving to the hot corner. I think people generally like to, to go after shortstops because obviously they're going to be the, the players that generally tend to be the most impactful. And then if they move, they move. That's fine. A short time moving to third is fine. A third baseman moving to first base TH puts more pressure on him. So it's kind of looking for third baseman that can play the position a little bit too. I think one of my favorite cards that I've been, you know, happily just putting aside here anytime I open some product in terms of you know, any base cards that I can pile up is Braden Taylor. And I, I told you how much I like Taylor with the Rays, you know, going into the draft. The more video I watched, the more I really fell in love with, with what he was able to do offensively at TCU. And I think the glove is, is fine at third. You know, there were some questions about the glove. I think it's fine at third. Braden Taylor is probably one of my favorite names that I think not a lot of people are, are really paying attention to in the product. And I think he could be a, a really good piece. Again, this was a stray from the, I mean, the race kind of strayed from their typical draft uh, template. I would say that the players that they generally go after, because I think they were surprised that Taylor fell to them. I thought Taylor was kind of a slam dunk uh, as a player that could have got picked in that, you know, top 15, you know, the 10 to 15, 16 range. He doesn't. I thought even a little bit after that would be, you know, a, 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 the bottom for him because how safe he is. And I think the Rays felt, We've got a million third baseman, but it's just too good of a player to pass on here. And uh, I don't know if Bowman draft's going to reflect that. Like, I don't know if collectors are, you know, kind of looking at the the draft board and saying, ah, this guy was drafted like 21st or, or 26th or whatever. I don't care about him as much. To me, Taylor was a top 15 talent. Yeah, they shouldn't be doing that. Um, they should know that this guy was on top of the world at TCU and, and they're getting a really good player if they do pull him. And 
Taylor's value is going to spike at some point during his minor league tenure. It's just a matter of situation. Like, is it going to spike because he's in the Rays system? He is the next, you know, mashing Rays prospect. Like, I'm sure if Caminero, Caminero has cards, right? I think he oh, does. Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. So Caminero, oh, like, they ain't cheap. I'm sure. So he spiked. Mead spiked. I know. Carson Williams spiked. I'm sure. Xavier Isaac spiked this year. I know. So, like, is he next in line in that regard? Or is he the headliner of a trade with Tampa? And I feel like the headline prospect in trades, their cards immediately spike up in value too. Oh yeah. Yeah. No. And it's funny because, you know, I like, I love what the Rays did in this draft period. We talked about like, I love the lead better pick. I I think, I think this is a guy that's just going to perform right away. And I think he's just going to become someone that's on every top 100 list by the middle of the season. And if that's the case, then, you know, it's going to be a very popular, I think, target for, for people to go collect. Uh, it's funny though, in terms of what's in Bowman, it, another name, and it's funny, we talked about him in the, in the, and this would be more speculatory, but we talked about him in the Brewers top prospect list, Eric Batanti. Like yeah. that's a card that I am putting in a sleeve if I pull it and I'm stowing that baby away for a couple of years, but Batanti's fun. So, I mean, this is a six, four guy and in another potential honorable mention, six, four massive power. He's in Bowman draft. They, they overslotted him, the Brewers, to be able to, to snag him. He, he's a left-handed bat that could you know, be a monster power-wise. Is he going to hit enough? We don't know. We talked about him as you know a guy that was just on the outside of the top 10 of the Brewers system. But you know what? If, if I'm like putting cards aside, you know, that I'm like, oh, we'll revisit this one in, in a year or two and see where they're at. Sign me up for the guys that are 6'4 and play a good defensive third base and, and a left-handed bat that could be a monster. But Tanti is exactly that. So that's another one in, in 23 Bowman that I think is a fun card to, to kind of look for. I mean, how about another Brewer, Mike Bove, that I, I'll throw your mm. way. The kid in Nebraska, Omaha, punched out nine times in 211 plate appearances. <laughs> if if you're into that kind of thing, and I clearly am, then, then do it. Um, I had some time to kill on Saturday after I did a basketball game, and I was passing like that. You you probably don't know it too well. You may know it well from recent years with your girlfriend being in the Midwest, but like you know how you pass these Midwest meccas on the highway where it has a Walmart and a Target and like every chain restaurant you can imagine. I had some time to kill. I was near one of those. So I I did the thing where I walk into Target and I go to the cart aisle and then I walk into Walmart and I go to the cart aisle and then I go to Cracker Barrel because I heard that's where you got to go get your Bowman. Nothing. Nothing. You didn't tell me that. Nothing. You didn't tell me that. Because I didn't find anything. If I found something, I would have told you. So I went to Sykeston, Missouri because my girlfriend's grandma lives there. Grandma Fran, big Cardinals fan. Nice. And I haven't hit a, like a gold mine like this in a while. I grabbed like 10 blasters. Um, so you never know what you can find when you're kind of on the highways in the Midwest. Uh, one other name, I hope I said it right. Luke Keschel. Is, it's not Keschel. It's Keschel, I think it's right? Keschel. Yeah, yeah, Keschel. He's a second baseman, but he plays a little bit of third as well. I really like what I saw from him in his pro debut. And he's another guy in the set that I don't think anyone's really going to pay attention to if they pull it. Um, but like, you know, you sometimes it's always the Luke Keschels of the world that you pull that auto to 25 and you're like, oh, do I just sell it immediately? Like, I don't even know who he is. There's certain guys like I think his stock's going to get a little bit better. Like, hold on to it. Someone told me that they pulled a Cole Carrig out of 25, which I'm so freaking jealous of. Um, hold on to that bad boy. 
That's all I got to tell you. Uh, but yeah, I, I think it's always fun to see what people are pulling. For sure, let us know too. Like tweet at us at, at the call up or, or at you know my personal Twitter at Armway Nate if you pulled anything in Bowman Draft or just in general. I always love to see what people are pulling out there. Uh, and, and I just bought myself a 2019 draft box that you know I'll, I'll, I'll let you know what I what I pull in there very soon. Nice. Number five, Brady House, Washington Nationals, Double A is probably where he'll start this year or he finished last year. First round pick in 2021, 11th overall. Um, House does just basically did everything I wanted him to do this year. Like it was just one of those things where, and we talk about injuries, and it's just so hard to know, you know, who's actually injured when they're playing. Are they playing through something? You know, how much did that affect him, or was he just struggling? Blah blah blah. With Brady House, it 100 was the injury that was holding him back, and you can just see it from his swings. And you know, at the time, I didn't know he was hurt when I was watching him, and I'm like man, this just looks stiff. And ironically, he's doing with a back thing and some other elements. And I'm like, it just doesn't look great. Um, I can't just assume that he's hurt. So I had no idea. And then when you find out later that he's hurt, I'm like, okay, that makes some sense. And I mean, dude, he was really playing banged up because if you look at the, the EVs, 90th percentile of 101 in his 45 games in 2022, then he gets to 2023 and his 90th percentile exit velocity jumped to 106 and a half. I mean, you don't jump five ticks. I don't care if you're 19 to 20 years old. I don't, I don't care what it is. You're just not jumping like that unless, you know, you, you put on 50 pounds of muscle or went from not knowing how to swing a bat to knowing how to swing a bat or you were hurt and you got healthy. And, you know, that was the case with Brady House. Super aggressive still, but being aggressive is palatable when you make at least reasonable contact. I mean, it's, it's fringy contact rates, but that's fine when you hit the ball that hard. Uh, but he's got to cut down on the chase. It's like a 36, 37% chase rate. Uh, the swing's a little flat. I think that's fine when you hit the ball that hard and it allows him to make a little bit more contact. But given that he's probably still going to whiff a little bit anyways, I'd like to see him create a little bit more loft in that swing. And that's really what the only thing that's holding him out from, from power, you know, more power output, 12 homers in 88 games last year. Like he's capable of doing more than that. Uh, he did have 21 doubles, but it's, it's kind of creating that, you know, more leverage and getting the ball in the air more consistently, which I think he can do because yes, he's 20, but you know, he really is like 19 in terms of his experience after being banged up a little bit. Was his batting practice of the futures game as cool as everybody said it was? Yeah. 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 Gotcha. He's got some crazy pop, man. Okay. He's, hey, he, he's got. He kind of yeah. won in the cage, right? He was the he was the batting cage MVP. I would say so. Dude, I mean, I, this guy the last year, he, he was hitting balls one, 113. I think he had a max EV of 113. Um, yeah. So you imagine that now, you know, in in a BP setting where he's just letting it eat. And that's the thing is in games, he doesn't create that loft as much in BP. He can kind of drop and drive it more. Um, and I don't want him to fully be that guy, but you know, having a ground ball rate that, you know, he cut it down as the year went on, but through the first half of the season, it was in the 50% range. Then in this back half of the season, he cuts that below 40. And it's not a coincidence that over his final 40 games, ground ball rate cuts to 40%. He hits 320, 352, 455 with plenty of extra base hits, kind of spraying the ball all over. Uh, but yeah. even then, like, I still think he could create a little bit more carry and leverage. So I'm interested to see what that all looks like, you know, as he continues to just get more comfortable. But over his final 20, 25 games, that slugging percentage finally got up over 500, and that ground ball rate just kept dropping and dropping and dropping. So it seemed like he was heading in the right direction at the end of the year. And you think he can be a really good, borderline great defender at third base? Yes. Yeah. Cause I mean, he was drafted as a shortstop and it wasn't like, Oh, this guy is just brutal. It's short. You know, let's get him out of there. It was more just, Hey, let's just 
let's just get ahead of ourselves here because oh, he's 6'3", 220. He's only going to get bigger and stronger. We know he's going to probably end up moving there. That's fine. Let's let's just right. do it now. And with the big arm, with the way he moves his feet, I think he can be a really, uh, you know, a really solid defender at third. And by the way, he closed out the year on a heater. The final 10 games, he had 15 hits, three homers, two triples, a double. Pretty damn good. Damn. He was good when Cruz wasn't. Yeah, right. <laughs> Number four, Curtis Mead. And he owned... Almost, or does he actually technically graduate? Virus he does standard? not. He does he not. A hundred plate appearances is the graduation threshold, and Curtis Mead enters this year with ninety-two major league plate appearances Ooh. under his belt. Another injury-laden year, so it's hard to properly assess Mead because he missed time. Then he came back and went nuts in AAA, but then he got brought up to the big leagues and you know had to try to get acclimated up there, and and it was a bit of a challenge for him um i think when you throw in getting acclimated to the big leagues for a team that's in win now mode after you coming off of an injury where you were just kind of getting your feet back under you just in general it was a wacky year but that said even with the big league struggles and everything all combined he put up an 828 ops Um, he hits the ball hard he makes plenty of contact he's got a good approach i this is a swing you know talking about how i want to see house lift more Mead is just a guy that I just don't think he's ever going to be that kind of guy. It's going to be more doubles and then, you know, 15 homers, maybe 20 homers. He's going to hit the crap out of the ball. Like it's Yandy Diaz style where it's like the EVs would imply 30 home run power, but right. it's just not the way the swing is designed. I think that's kind of what, what Mead is going to look like. That's fine. That's still a really good player. I think he could be, you know, a doubles machine, uh, but it's probably not going to be 30 home runs. It's probably going to be a lot more doubles and then 15-ish home runs, maybe 20 as he gets more comfortable. But the fact that he walks, the fact that he puts bat on ball, uh, look, the glove is a problem at third, probably. Um, and and I think that's 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 kind of the thing that I have to dock down. The more I watch, I think like that arm kind of limits him at third. Might have to play second. I don't know. But the bat, I mean, it's it's pretty hard to to argue against the bat. So I think Yandy's a great comp because like if i had a ballot and i think i should compared to some of the people that are voting for these awards (laughs) like yandy yandy absolutely would have been higher on my ballot than you would expect because this guy turned in a year that was sensational and like the wrc plus spoke for it that's a high obp guy that has hit the shit out of the ball ever since he debuted and he's a big man he just doesn't hit 30 to 35 but he he's got that fear of god type impact that will make corner infielders shiver when they see his presence. And, and I think that's what Meade can become. Mm-hmm. And okay, if he moves to first base, whatever. Like, I, I think Eric Neander's probably closing his eyes and, he, and he's envisioning Curtis Meade as Yandy Diaz 2.0. And that's a player that deserves way more love than, like, I think the baseball world gives. 100%. And my theory on that profile is, like, if you're going to be – you know, a low home run output guy, but you put up good EVs. It's really about the contact rates at that point, because yes. if you have a 90th percentile, 105, 106, 107, like, like, you know, Mead has had an, and through spurts and Yanni Diaz has, you're going to be a high BABIP guy. Naturally, those balls that you hit in the gap that could be singles for other guys because they get cut off. They're not going to get cut off those balls that you, you know hit on the ground. They get through the infield more frequently. But if you're, you know, an average contact rate guy and then you're not squeezing out every drop of your power in terms of game, you know, and, and not lifting enough, then it's hard to to get over that 800 OPS threshold. Right. Because like, how are you going to do that? If you're not hitting enough, you better be 
you know, getting four bags when you run into it instead of one to two. But if you're putting the ball in play as consistently as Meade can and Diaz does, you can be very, very productive while only hitting 10 to 15 home runs. Uh, so it, it'll be interesting to see what the maturity of, of Meade looks like and, and, and you know, how he kind of transitions into a full-time big league player, still just 23 years old as well and, and a young 23. One of my favorite picks for rookie of the year this upcoming season, if, if you know, he gets enough reps is Cole Keith, number three. The Detroit Tigers have a good piece here and I'm looking at third base and look, Keith is not a great defender either. And that's the trend here, right? It's like either shortstop moving to third. That's a good defender or guy at third that really has to hit. Keith really has to hit. He really hit. Um, he was a hit over power guy when he was drafted in the fifth round in 2020. Then he battled injuries as well. Then he came back super strong. Did not lose any of the mobility and adjustability or quickness that he had with his swing and added a ton of impact. So now you have this above average hit tool. You have plus power. You have an elite approach and you have a left-handed bat here who's a monster. Cole Keith is as as safe as they come offensively, I think, in the minor leagues. And I've said that you know a few times. I stand by it now. I think it's even if it's not 30, and I think it can be 30 homers, but even if it's 2025, 20, his ability to hit for average and walk is going to shine through too. But I think he could do it all. Uh, I think, yeah. you know, this is a guy that's going to be, you know, right there with Kerry Carpenter, I think doing some similar things, maybe even, maybe even hitting better. Um, and, and I'm excited to see what it all looks like. Yeah. So if you didn't listen to the conversation, I want to say it was end of August, beginning of September with Colt Keith on the call up. You should go do that. Um, and I asked him about checkpoints that he had this year. And he said, you know, the three that come to mind, I guess, are hit 300, have 30 homers and drive in 100. And he hit 306. He drove in 101. And man, did he fail 27 homers. What a like, loser. This season was a massive failure for Coach. Oh, yeah, waste uh, of time. <laughs> problem is uh, he hit 38 doubles as well. So like, <laughs> holy hell, dude. Um, there's a reason he was all MILB for us. Oh yeah. And also, I mean, like there were some doubles that he hit and I don't know if they set it up like to be similar to Detroit and, and with the triple a setup. I think they did. Um, And like that, that wall in left center is huge, right? It's like, it's a humongous wall. I'm looking at a Colt Keith double 436 to dead center. How is that not a home run in Toledo? It was like slightly to the to the to right and center. It is in it, no, it was in um ah STP. St. Paul? Yeah. St. Paul. Huh. I didn't think it was that deep in center. Maybe it was a misread. Oh I don't no, know. you know what? Right center does suck. That place blows. Yeah. And then he had another one in Toledo, four four ten straightaway center double. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, it was just crazy stuff. But now he's got crazy. I mean, that's going to be the case, though, at Comerica, you know, and, and, and the thing that I think helps him is he it's all fields. It's gap to gap. Like he can split either gap. The power is way more than that. Obviously, hits the ball in the air so consistently. Thirty five percent ground ball rate walking at a good clip. Um, I, this guy's going to just be a monster. By the way, left on left, three oh six, three eighty five, five twenty four last year. Yeah, that's just not a problem. Like there's no, you're the only hole you can poke is the defense. And when you hit like that, I just don't care. Interesting note. Played a lot more second base at the end of last year. So we'll see where he ultimately settles in. But I think with the way things are lined up right now, third base could make some sense. Yeah. Number two, 
another guest of the show, Kobe Mayo of the Baltimore Orioles. And for my money, one of the best hitting prospects in the sport. I mean, top 15 prospect in the game. And I mean, look, the defense has come along, which is huge too. I think he can be a fine defender at third. We're talking plus plus raw power. This kid's six, five, like just encroaching 200, but my gosh, can he hit? And what a year that he had another, another player. It seems to be the theme here of third base was a little banged up in, in 2022. And he had to handle aggressive assignments, got up to double A and struggled. And he talked about the injuries, you know, on, on the episode. If, if you are, again, just discovering us, go scroll back uh, you know, a couple dozen episodes to the Kobe Mayo uh, interview. That was one of my favorite interviews we've done because he's so insightful, uh, super talented, but humble, but also knowing what he's good at and knowing what he needs to work on and being able to, to explain that very like eloquently. It, it was a really Interesting conversation that I, I learned a lot in terms of what the Orioles like to work on with these guys hitting wise. And, and it was cool to see like him explain in real time, you know, how the development helped, you know, how the Orioles hitting development has helped. And, you know, some of the things that they had him working on going into the season, some of the things that he worked on on, on his own, um, obviously the makeups there. And, you know, he's just utilizing everything that he had at his disposal. And you go into 2023 and after kind of shaking off of if he, you know, stretch and double A just goes absolutely nuts and double and then goes to triple as a 21 year old and goes absolutely nuts. And cumulatively on the year, 143 games, this guy played 295, 415, 579 slash line, 15% walk rate, 24% K rate, 31 bombs, a 90th percentile of 107 guy hits the crap out of the ball. He's patient. He has a rocket for an arm at third. That should make him a fine defender there. And he's just 22 years old. He just turned 22 a month ago. On the list of untouchables, and we've talked about it, the Orioles farm system is so far and away the best farm system in baseball. On the list of untouchables with rookie eligibility, so I'm not counting Gunnar Henderson, I'm not counting Adley Rutschman, I'm not counting Grayson Rodriguez anymore, because those three I do think are untouchable. Um, I think there are three remaining untouchable, yep. where if they come up in trade conversations, you're not talking about it. It's Jackson Holiday, it's Samuel Basayo, and it's Kobe Mayo. You got it. I am with you 100%. Those are the three guys I'm not talking about, unless it's legitimately, you know, a, a franchise, like a Jose Ramirez type of situation, right? Like, right. I'm not. Yeah, I think those are the, and it shows you kind of the hierarchy here. And, and we like a lot of the other guys, a lot. The other top 100 guys. We love Kowser and Ortiz and Westberg and all those guys. Those guys are not, not tier one prospects. They're not. The three you just mentioned are tier one prospects and, and like up there in tier one. Um, yeah. yeah, I'm not talking about trades on any of those guys. And what's amazing about Mayo, another dude that lifts and lifts and lifts, 35% ground ball rate. Um, it's all fields power, but when he gets into it pull side, it is it is really impressive. And like he's still learning, man. He's still developing as a hitter. So I I, I think this is going to be, if he starts in triple, which is where we assume he will, again, I think he's going to be one of the better hitters in the minor leagues until he kind of forces you know the Orioles' hand to kind of create a spot for him. I think he's going to be a better offensive option than Kerstad as soon as next year. And if that's the case, they're going to find a spot for him. So it's going to be interesting to see how they handle the first base, third base situation, DH situation. But I do think that Kobe Mayo ends up kind of forcing his way up there, which I'm looking forward to to seeing him do that. He's going to play first base on May 1st for the Baltimore Orioles. Kobe Mayo is going to play first base. You heard they like flip, flip Mount Castle for a reliever or some prospects or something. Yeah, like Mountcastle, I, I think Mountcastle's value now is he's one of the best hitters in baseball against left-handed pitching. Yeah. 
aside from that. Dude, they got Seth Johnson in the, you know, in, in a Mancini trade. You never know. You never know what you can pull off there. Right. Number one, not much of a, uh, not much Drum suspense roll. here. Not much suspense here. Junior Caminero. Um, he's going to be playing third, which we know now. I mean, they were throwing him at shortstop when they needed to, uh, you know, the Rays were just desperate. They got Jose Caballero. Perfect. He yeah. plays short. Curtis Mead, they don't want him to play third. That's great. You got Junior Caminero at the hot corner. Caminero projects as a good third baseman, at least a very solid one. This guy has some of the best raw power in the minor leagues. It might be the best raw power in the minor leagues. I, I was, I think I pulled it in the, in the Owen Casey thread I did. It was something along the lines of hitters with a 90th percentile exit velocity of 110 miles an hour. And it, I believe it was a zone contact rate over 75 or 77%. It was one of those numbers. There was two. It was Junior Caminero, Owen Casey, which... Is a testament to Owen Casey, by the way. Right. But that shows like, yes, these guys are going to strike out a little bit, but the contact rates are not egregious. It's not bad. Um, And when you hit the ball that hard, it would be fine even if it was a below average hit tool. But the thing with Caminero is I actually think it's an average hit tool. Even though there's so many moving parts, it's just it's just an impressive ability to put bat on ball. He's just 20 years old and uh, it just seems to just get to everything. It's all fields power too. I was watching one of the homers he just recently hit in uh, the winter league and it was like a fastball at the top, top, top of the zone. And he somehow like not only gets on top of it, but drives it like to, to right center. And it's just one of those guys where it's just like, how do you do that with that pitch? I find myself saying that with Junior Caminero as much as anybody. Langford's entering that territory too, by the way, just like how did that pitch get hit out there? Uh, but Caminero has like been the king of that. And I think that's going to translate very well to the big league level. Let's talk about a rookie of the year favorite. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, he was must-see TV. And I loved getting down there to the Dominican to see him. Uh, and like I watched him go oppo, like line hunting, like pitch low and away. He hits it out down the right field line. And then, you know, he meets Jose Ramirez at the plate and they, you know, dap up. And I'm just like, wow, Guardians fans are in a whole pool of <laughs> yeah, urine tough, right that's now. That's a tough huh? image right there. That's, that's a, tough a really image. tough one. But um, no, I mean, this guy's amazing. Like at this time last year, he was playing in Perth in the Australian Winter League and he was hitting yeah. 300 there. And now like he's the star of a team in the Dominican Winter League. And man, I recently started following him on Instagram. Great follow on Instagram. But um, really? Yeah, like just a lot of still images with music playing in the background. I'm a huge oh, fan that. of that. Love, love it. Um, but yeah, man, I like he's he's must see TV for me. 83 batted balls, 105 miles per hour and above. But the coolest part about it, dude, is if you look at the spray chart at 105 and above, it is as if it was the most evenly. It was like if you were spreading seeds, you know, like evenly distributing them. Like it's not even slightly more dense on the pull side. It is perfectly evenly distributed all amongst the outfield from foul pole to foul pole. And those are, that's not just just the regular spray chart. That's the spray chart of when you're hitting the shit out of the ball. Yeah. Like, and it's still evenly distributed all over. And you mentioned like going the other way down the other foul line. The way he can manipulate the barrel and still hit the ball super hard is, is impressive. Um, I, I think it's going to be an average hit tool, even if it's fringy. I think it's fringy at worst. And then we're talking about borderline 80 power. It's, it's comfortably 70. I think he might even tap into, you know, like 80 raw power. And then 
everything else that comes with it. Like, I, I think this is going to be one of the better corner infielders in baseball. And thank goodness for Rays fans. Like, I feel so bad for them considering, you know, what what you have to go through with with your franchise player, um, you know, just most likely disappearing off the roster there. And you're like, oh, it's the one time we lock up a guy for a while and, you know, have him, you know, a piece to build around that the Rays actually want to hold on to. If that contract gets voided, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if we see a pre-arb deal go the junior common era way because I'm pretty sold on what he's doing and what, what he can do at the big league level. And I think this is one of the key building blocks for them. If he shows out well in the beginning of the year through the first month or two, I wouldn't be surprised if they approach him with with a pre-arb deal and, and try to lock him up because I don't really have much question about – my only question is how good is the hit tool? And that's going to yeah. determine whether he's perennial all-star or just a really good power bat. You know, and 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 that's really the, the range for me. Like as crazy as that sounds, of course anything can happen, but that's the way I'd be looking at it. And I'd bet on the hit duel being good. Yep, a hundred percent. Well, that'll do it for this episode. We will have Cardinals top prospects later this week. Reminder to check out Tops and Bowman Draft and let us know what you're collecting, what you're grabbing out there. Uh, but we will have Cardinals for you either Thursday or Friday. So keep an eye out for that. Continuing to fly through the NL Central and. I'm hoping we'll get through the top 100 update in the next week or so as well uh, so that you guys can have something to hold you over until we have our you know full-fledged preseason top 100 update that'll come after spring training. But as always, thank you for listening. If you could leave a rating, help us grow the show. Really appreciate it. Subscribe to the YouTube. We'll talk prospects with you Thursday or Friday. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.